You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Daria and Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Hannah Broderick, a live sound engineer. We have a very exciting guest today. Uh, We've got Hannah Broderick, who is a UK-based freelance sound engineer with 10 years experience in the live music industry. She has toured the world, taking on a wide variety of roles, from selling t-shirts in Tokyo for Kula Shaker to coordinating radio frequencies in arenas for Noel Gallagher, and believes variety in work and life is a key to happiness. In 2018, she co-founded the organization Women in Live Music with the aim to equalize the gender balance across the music industry. Welcome, Hannah. How are you? Welcome. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'm good in hot, sunny England. I hope you guys are good as well. Doing so good right now. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I wanted to start this conversation with talking about your roots, uh, particularly because I've just come out of six weeks of Brighton Spiegel tent run. Absolutely exhausted. Best time ever, obviously. Uh, and I know that you sort of started out there or it was one of your first gigs. So what was that like? Can I just ask you, which venue were you in? Oh, uh, there was only one. It was the main one this year. The Spiegelton. The... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, cool. So like the main Tiv- one. Tivoli. Because... Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because uh, I was in Bosco uh, yeah, in the previous one. Um, and then um, this year uh, they didn't get funding for more than one. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a small world, I guess. But... Um, that's basically how I got my foot in the door and not in audio, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. God knows when it was um, probably about eight years ago now, maybe nine years ago. Um, I was working as a cleaner, right? I'd just come out of university. I was having a really hard time getting into audio. You know, I just finished my degree in music technology and sound design and I was just applying to all these studios, you know, like all these recording companies, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, anything really related to music, just trying to get a job any old job um and I was doing like unpaid internships and all this stuff because you know legal back then and um a friend of mine had like a job interview up in Edinburgh or something and he was doing lights for the Spiegel tent at Brighton Fringe Festival and he Mm. said to me um oh can you you know I've worked with him on like small stuff and he said can you come and cover me for like two days doing lights on this um for some cabaret thing and everything was programmed so he was like you know it's really easy all you have to do is just you know like press next on the desk or whatever. and I'd never done lights before and I didn't know anything about it and so I sort of just stayed up all night reading the manual for this lighting desk and it was like really old school it's a leapfrog um oh yeah pro- proper old school you know with, <laughs> oh, you start no. to put a floppy disk in and everything yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and um I basically, I totally messed up the show. Like, it was awful. Um, but I kind of, like, tried, and I think the, the kind of production manager, the guy, the technical manager, um, who was sort of looking after all the equipment, sort of took a shine to me, and he asked me on the second day, like, oh, you know, so, you know, who are you? What what do you do? Gareth Hans? I don't know if you ever met him. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know yeah, Gareth. If, if you're working for HD, bless him. And, and he said, okay, what are you doing next week? Um, and I said, oh, nothing. And he's like, all right, do you want to come and work for me? um for a week in the warehouse you know just prepping kit because they were really busy and I was like yeah and it was quite kind of intense because 
he wrote his email down on this like piece of paper but um I couldn't read his handwriting so <laughs> it yeah so I was like trying all these different emails like you know gareth at h2 dot whatever yeah I can't remember what it was but trying all these different ones and finally like one didn't bounce back and I was like ah oh, okay um and and that was like that was it from then on I was like working on loads of you know events around Brighton doing sound and lights and just learning it all really um but that was my break can we go back just a teeny tiny bit little rewind just like why audio in the first place uh why did that uh intrigue you to pursue it in school well I mean I came from like really musical family um I was playing like piano and trombone and even bass guitar I had like a little girl band in school um and I was just I just loved music I you know used to one day I just decided I'm gonna listen to every single one of my parents records like vinyl cd tape a lot just went through everything and I was like just obsessed with music finding new music there was a record stall in town and I used to go there every Saturday and just hang out with this guy who ran it because I was just so interested um in music and as soon as I was sort of old enough like 14 or 15 or so is when I started going to gigs and then that was it I was just hooked so um I kind of knew that I always wanted to do something in music but um I just hated performing I wasn't good at you know getting up on stage so kind of doing something behind the scenes seemed like a natural kind of thing for me to do so originally I thought I wanted to become like a producer so I went to university well college to study music technology and then university um to do music technology and sound design kind of I guess the rest is history really I mean it it was always going to happen I'm stubborn you know one way or another I was always going to work in music but I just wasn't just didn't know where you know wasn't sure I'd be a live sound engineer or producer who knows you know it's like yeah and um uh, are you from Brighton no I grew up in Horsham which is not far it's like between halfway between oh it's literally I'm in Guildford right uh, now what? Just so like I'm in Dorking <laughs> like right now I'm living in Dorking so that's like right down the road from you cool <laughs> again I told you a small world Wait, you guys should just get in the same room <laughs> just get in the same room it will <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah. Tiny, tiny world. Um, and did you ever come back to do uh, some more stuff at um, Spiegel or was it the only time? I did it again the next year, I think. But I was running sound then. Um, I think it was the next year mm-hmm. or the year after I was doing sound in the in the Spiegel tent. Yeah. Nice. And that was the, main the whole month. Six weeks or whatever. It was. Yeah. I also know um from chatting to you every so often um that you went and did um was it a course at uh Britannia Row or yeah yeah I forgot to to mention that bit so um in 2011 I think it was um I went and did a three-month course with Britannia Row in London which was um I guess I'd come out of uni kind of having an all-round idea about sound but it was very studio-based and when I'd started working um, for, for companies like H2 and stuff I was like I felt like I was just winging it all the time because I didn't have that real foundation of knowledge 
in live audio. So I thought, okay, I need to kind of go back to school and really study. And Brit Rowe, obviously, you know, big name in the in the audio world for you know they they were there at the beginning. You know, they they were created basically yeah. because um out Pink Floyd's sound engineer basically um created Britannia Rowe. So yeah, I I kind of went into that and that was like such a booster not only did I get in with Brit Rowe and start working their warehouse and you know going out on tour and stuff with bigger artists but um I moved to London as well which was a huge step um and just the contacts and everything that I kind of got through that and the knowledge itself you know I always say that mm. I learned more at Brit Rowe in three months than I did at uni in three years you know when it came to live sounds so it was um it was probably the best thing I've ever done yeah wow that sounds like intensive three months um it was. Like, what were you doing for that three months how were the classes run? it was it was pretty much full-time yeah full days just learning audio and then having kind of practical stuff we'd have bands come in you know and you'd get a day running monitors a day doing stage front of house um you'd have homework where you have to create like show files on offline editors and stuff and um yeah it was intense because I was trying to work at the same time doing like crew work um and yeah it was a lot it was a lot you know good old days eh do you uh do you miss them <laughs> how hard you had to work in the beginning oh my god do you know what it, oh. yeah I, I was kind of like I was ready to come back to school you know I, I wasn't ever really that good at education I preferred doing things and learning that way than than like looking at a powerpoint presentation or something right. um but I was I was really ready to learn again when I did that course and I don't know, I had the best teachers, so it was it was such an experience actually. It was really good. That's cool. Um so what would you say um most valuable piece of information that they don't teach you at university that you managed to pick up over the years? Um I think being someone who or learning how to be someone that people like to work with. Um whether it's just, you know, like learning people's names, you know, offering everyone a cup of tea, coffee, networking, you know, being present on social media, that sort of thing, just to help you kind of navigate, you know, that side of it. I always say like my job, especially as a monitor engineer, is like 20% talent, you know, and 80% people skills, you know, understanding people, having emotional intelligence, all that sort of thing which is they, they don't teach you at university. Unfortunately, you have to find that out for yourself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm interested, I guess, in the beginning of everything as you're kind of figuring out the actual gig, but then also, I guess, the politics and the interpersonal stuff. Like, how did that go for you? Just starting off and getting your foot in the door, like beyond um, this gig that you guys worked, you both worked. What is it called? The Spiegel at Fringe? <laughs> Brighton Spiegel tent. Well... As I kind of said, like, after I'd done that first initial gig, um, I was sort of thrown into warehouse work. And um, shortly after that as well, like off the back of that, I started working at the Brighton Dome, which is probably one of the biggest venues in Brighton, second biggest, maybe. I guess I was young at the time. And with the sort of personable stuff, um, it's not like really a good thing, but I, I changed myself a lot to fit in um because I felt like I stuck out anyway you know often being the only woman on the crew and everything I sort of 
became a bit of a chameleon, you know. Um, maybe started sort of dressing a little bit like one of the guys. I, you know, I started smoking. I'm not proud of that. But because everyone I worked with smoked, I was like, okay, I want to fit in. I want to be part of this tribe. So I started smoking. Um, and I know this isn't anything I'm proud of, but it's kind of what I had to do to survive it all, all this new stuff and becoming like this person that I thought I had to be to to work in this world um so yeah I changed myself a little bit at the beginning um I guess the sort of fitting in stuff apart from that always came kind of naturally to me anyway I'm quite a easy person I guess to I make friends easily you know it's not a I can make friends with anyone and it's all good but um in terms of like knowledge stuff it was just complete like you, everything was just new and you just had to learn it I remember one time um my boss asked me you know can you like put make up these plugs you know like 16 amp to 13 amp or something and I was like yeah 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 of course I can do that and then he sort of found me later sitting in the corner of the warehouse you know with my phone out on google saying like how you know how do I put a plug together solder and he was like oh Hannah like why didn't you say anything you didn't know how to do this and I was like it's fine and and I just I just sort of like I said yes to everything and then learned how to do it and just because I was you know I didn't want to be the you know the one who didn't know how to do anything so I just sort of put my head down and got on with it and and learned as much as I could really I was gonna ask what was your first tour my first tour is a bit of a weird one um I got asked to do driving slash like tour mum which is role apparently um slash merchandise for this cathedral tour of the uk with a act um called medieval babes and they're like medieval pop stars basically so they sing all these old medieval songs um with you know like in in cathedrals and it's beautiful um with some medieval instruments and stuff yeah never driven on a tour before, never even driven a splitter van, um, never done merch properly, never never been on tour. So I just said, yeah, cool, let's do it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if anything, I would may, might just learn a bit more about sound because they were touring with a sound engineer. So I was like, well, I'll help him maybe pack up stage and stuff, and, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I did this tour and it was, it was such a weird such a weird experience um you know banging on hotel room doors trying to get the band out of bed because they were all doing like yoga and stuff and then yeah selling cds and mold wine to the uh punters so yeah like it's always weird like when i say like yeah my first my first foot in the door was doing lights my first tour was selling cds but here i am and funnily enough like one one piece of advice i say to people is always take like any opportunity that comes along because the manager for this medieval babes band actually managed another band called Kudoshoku who I ended up going on tour with doing monitors and I got that off the back of that so even now like if someone offered me you know tour manager merch job I wouldn't say no straight away I'd be like yeah maybe how much why not yeah how much yeah yeah (laughs) yeah were you uh, were you in like someone 
uh, on the uh, grapevine was saying that you're in Russia or you were in Russia not a moment ago. Yeah, I was in Russia last week. It was horrible. Oh, not, no, not because not? Russia is horrible, but the um. Do you want to hear the story? Okay. Of course, yeah. So, so th- this is like the gig that should have never happened, basically. Not only because, you know, it's COVID times and everything, but it was just one of those, like, I think the band I was working for, I'm not going to say they are just because it's a bit sensitive. Um, It was a private event, you know, it wasn't like a, mm. um, a gig. Um. But yeah, I think they'd been asked to do this like last year and then, you know, COVID happened and everything. And it was just like, you know, it's the gig that was never meant to happen, but it happened. And they were like adamant about getting us there. Um, mm-hmm. Sorted all the visas, everything. Um, they somehow managed to get it so that we didn't have to quarantine when we got to Russia. And yeah, so we, against all odds, we land in Russia. And this is after doing a layover in Frankfurt and whatnot, 6 a.m. flight, just the whole the whole shebang. And we get to Russia and, like, we're all through, all the bags have arrived, like, all the kit, all the flight cases are there. The tour manager gets stopped at customs because she's she's on a French passport travelling from Germany. And so they're, they're going to raise some questions, basically. Um, so she comes out, like, an hour later, an hour and a half later, and we're all like, okay, this is it, final hurdle. Like we've made it. We go we're like right at the end, you know, you can see the lights out of the airport of like the tour manager brings the carne to the to the customs people. So for those who don't know, the carne is a piece of um it's like a document basically that says the value of all the equipment that you are importing into a country just in case you decide to sell it, um, and then you have to pay tax on it or whatever. Um, you have to pay money. So Every time you go somewhere like Russia, America, um, Switzerland, from the UK, you need this thing called a carne, uh, which is very long, time-consuming and expensive, but there we go. So yeah, you know, brings the carne out and there's a stamp missing from one page. And this woman at the customs, she just, I don't know, just takes a dislike to us, takes a dislike to the tour manager um, and just stamps like denied on it. And then it gets put through to like the powers that be the government whoever before we've even like had a chance to kind of like hey can we can we work this out you know we've, we've got some money you know whatever no it wasn't happening um 12 hours later we were still uh stuck in customs um dehydrated you know we couldn't get any food it was just like we don't know what to do yeah it might have gone a bit south towards the end of that might not have ended up in the in the best condition after twelve hours being stuck there. Um but yeah, that was it. Um we couldn't get the gear out. We tried everything. In the end they had to like through some negotiation, the Russian customs agreed to mark it as like lost luggage so it could get sent back to the UK. But we weren't flying from that airport back, so we couldn't take the kit back. We we're flying from a different airport. So basically the the gear came back on like two separate flights and just, you know, on the floor in Heathrow Airport in the lost and found basically all these, you know, 50,000 pounds worth of kit, guitars, pedal boards, everything. Um, and 3am that morning, we were on the phone to like backline company 
trying to hire and everything for the show the next day, all the guitars, keyboards, the whole lot. Um, and the gig happened, like just, it was almost, almost didn't happen, but it happened. And everyone just had this like thousand yard stare going on. And we were like, you know, sleep deprived and everything. And then we all came back and we were just like, never again, never again. Um, on that note, what was the most perfect or the funnest gig or one that went as well as uh, possible for you? I did a really cool gig once. We have this festival called Meltdown Festival in the UK and every year there's like a curator. And I think two years ago, or might be three now, um, Robert Smith from The Cure was the curator of Meltdown Festival. Um, and I love The Cure and he booked a band I was doing front of house for um, because he just loved them. They're this um, Swedish post-rock band called PG Loss. He just loves the band so he booked them to play his Meltdown Festival and we played Hyde Park I think on Friday or Saturday and then we opened for Deftones on the Sunday which was like huge for me because Deftones were like one of those bands from my, you know, teenage years. So I was just like stoked. I was like, yeah, this is so cool. Um, mixing in like the biggest room in the South Bank Centre. And I just had so much fun with it. I was like, I could do whatever I want. Yeah, I'm doing front house. And because the band like post rock, they have a lot of, you know, low end and everything. So I was just like ragging the subs. We had like light light fittings falling out of the ceiling, right, onto the audience because I was just like having so much fun but it was just amazing because one of my my tutors basically my mentor was there as well I invited him to the show because he he loved the band um so it was just like a really special gig to do um in, in every way basically yeah that's nice that, that sounds very like significant because your mentor was there and you could be like like look how far I've come <laughs> it's got to be like a pretty profound moment how did you develop your approach to I guess front of the house and like monitor engineering because like um i'm interested in how you portrayed live sound is much more than amplifying audio signals amplifying emotions atmosphere like the magic i i like I, i'm reading this off your website but i liked it and um yeah like can you tell us about your approach it's really cheesy that that comment but um but i stand by it you know i feel like i like it <laughs> yeah i mean that that's how i've always seen live sound is that you're you're not meant you're not meant to change what's going on on stage. You're not meant to add your signature, you know. Um, you're just meant to make everything louder. You're meant to translate it to everyone else. You know, in in an ideal world, really, you know, the, the band would play on stage and everything would just come out as it sounds for the musicians on, on stage, you know, how they want it to sound is how the audience should hear it. You know, you shouldn't be trying to add things in that aren't there that that's kind of what I view front of house as you know you're there to just fix any acoustical problems but you're really there just to make it louder and make it all work together um so I'm not you know I'm not a big fan of like loads of plugins effects um crazy EQ none of this like EQ really should for me it's there just to fix problems um it's not there to to add anything I think if there's a problem you know if the drums 
sound bad. It's not your job to fix it, really. You you should, you know, say, hey, can you tune your drum kit, please, or or move the mics or something. You know, it's it's always last resort that I I reach for like EQ when I'm when I'm doing front of house because I really believe that your job is really just to make it louder. Yeah, I suppose that's that's a great way of looking at it. Like. I wonder how you arrived at that conclusion because you know from my own experience of the worst part of doing any job like that when you finally get to do front of house is um did I make it sound better or just different uh, that's a big question <laughs> and, and how how do I know that what I like is what anybody else likes basically so mm. Yeah, You know, I think it comes from working with bands who are very, very good anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, the sound that they have already is is perfect, you know, and they know their instruments and they know their gear and, um, you know, they ask very little of you. I think that's kind of how I learned to have that approach. I notice usually that the bands who are maybe less experienced and less kind of professional, they're the ones who start expecting you to change things for them. Um, but really the, the people who know their stuff, you know, that they, they if there's any changes to be done, then they, they would, they'll do it their end, you know, so it's not your job to kind of fix those things. So that's kind of how I learned how to do it that way. It wasn't always the case, you know, I remember when I was, learning you know how to mix and I would see other people and you know especially so I when I was a teenager I was listening to a lot of metal and I started sort of getting into sound still in being in the metal scene and I would see the way that um front of house engineers would EQ like drum kits for example for metal and I'd be like whoa that's like crazy EQ for like kick drum and everything and I was like god do I have to do that like is that my job so I used to just EQ for the sake of it. And now I'm like, does it sound good? Well, if it sounds good, I'm not touching it. You know, it's kind of like my philosophy on it, really. I like that. Why? Why mess with it if it's good? Sometimes when I'm doing a show and I see all my EQs and they're like pretty much all flat, I'm like, that's great. That's that's what I want, you know? No one, no one tells you this though, right? <laughs> no, you just have to figure it out. Yeah, you just have to figure it out. Well, it would be so much easier if someone told you. <laughs> But I am wondering, Hannah, of course, about women in live music. Um, it was inspired by Sound Girls. Is that true? Tell us. I discovered Sound Girls, I think, probably around about 2016, 2017. Um, and this was like huge for me, you know, because I never really worked with other women. And so discovering Sound Girls and, and starting to become, that, become part of that community was so important and special to me. Um, and through that, and also the um, Brit Row three-month training course thing I did, I met this wonderful um, lady called Mali Kaz from Denmark, who had done the course just a couple of months, well, I think three months or six months, whatever, after I did it. And um, we instantly just like connected because we were both part of Sound Girls. We both done this Brit Row thing. Um, and she's like really highly motivated person, much more than me. So she, yeah, so she was like, you know, doing all these like sound girls workshops and stuff in the UK and, um, kind of 
sort of we we just started being sort of like the EU rep- representatives, I guess. Um, you know, we, we we just wanted to bring sound girls, you know, to the UK and to Europe, um, and carry the word and and you know, kind of do what they were doing in the US, but over here. And it, and it was great, but it was so hard because of, you know, various cultural differences and time zones, you know, us trying to like, we, we really want to put on a workshop with this, um, you know, someone like Shaw or Sennheiser or something. Um, and then having to wait for someone to reply in a different time zone. And then, you know, so everything took a long time back then. And, and I think it was just kind of became like a natural thing that like, we really want to do this, but we also want to do it our way. So we want to carry on what we're doing with sound girls, but we want to kind of evolve it and do our own thing. Um, and so we thought, well, why don't we start our own thing, our own organization? And let's not have the common fact to be sound audio, but let's have it be like the music industry in general, the live music industry. Because I often say, you know, like I'm more likely to meet um, like a female tour manager or a lighting designer you know, day-to-day life on a gig or something than I am to meet, you know, recording engineer or voiceover artist or sound for TV, you know, all these, um, all these other positions that exist in audio, but you only really get a couple in the live music industry. So we thought, let's, you know, let's make this, um, let's not copy Sound Girls, but let's, let's try and do what we were doing with Sound Girls, but bring the whole, music industry into it um and just keep it we kind of tried to keep it specific to the eu because you have i don't know you have to kind of have some constraints on it because otherwise it's just like everything and anything um so yeah so women in live music was born um and we've been you know putting on workshops and doing seminars and talks and you know every just trying to do everything to build a community um the community really that I never had when I was starting out and I thought well I don't want anyone you know coming into industry now to feel as alone as I did and and it's kind of insecure so I want everyone to know who's just starting out that there's you know there's people who've done it and been successful at it and here they all are and you can talk to all of them and you know and that's kind of it really I mean it's yeah that was 2018 when we started that, and it's now three years later. So, when I was sort of finding my way in, you know, Facebook and forums and stuff, trying to learn about audio and trying to get advice, you know, it it was not really a positive experience for me because I would see people, you know, young kind of novice sound engineers, or whatever, asking questions in like, you know, UK touring crew or live sound engineers. Facebook page and they would just be like shot down straight away like how do you not know this you know someone would ask a a question of like oh you know I don't really understand what the difference between like phase and polarity is and they're like well go go and read a book dummy you know sort of thing and I'm like that put me off so much that I I felt like I could never ask questions because I didn't want to be seen as like dumb or novice because these are also places where you're looking for work so you you can't show that that kind of like you know oh I'm I don't know very much and you know afraid to ask questions and and I really wanted a place where that wasn't a thing you know people could ask any questions and it wouldn't they wouldn't be judged for it you know
since you started and now, have you noticed any difference in the way just anyone is approaching either uh, women or novices or uh, the state of gatekeeping in in yeah, the community? Yeah, I think it's it's a hard one because I feel like it differs really so much on location where you are. Like in London, in the UK, I think we're doing quite well with it, with the whole like people, you know, if they see someone being sexist or, or whatever, you know, someone says, you know, I need a female sound engineer for event, blah, blah, client's request, maybe it's International Women's Day and we want an all-women team, whatever. There used to be a lot of people, you know, saying like, well, it's discrimination, you know, it's against the law, you can't, you know, have a preference for gender when you're advertising a role. By the way, you can, and it's not against the law because you can hire who you want on Facebook. It doesn't, you know, just putting that out there. Um, But those, the people who were saying that now are getting shot down by everyone, and not even just women, men as well were like, just shut up. So I've noticed there's definitely a lot less tolerance now for, you know, that old school way of thinking, um, the kind of casual sexism, you know, the jokes. I mean, that yeah, of course, there's there's kind of extreme examples like gear sluts being changed to whatever it is now, gear space. Um, but I feel like the, the feeling has very much changed. Um, now I notice that there's a lot of, demand particularly from artists for female crew I like to joke about it being like a trend you know now it's better to be a female sound engineer than a man because you have all these like artists who just want you you know um it's still you know we still have our challenges but I sometimes I do argue that it's you know it's good to be a woman in in the climate today I think as far as like opportunities go we we're doing all right um, you might get hired more because you're a woman now than not hired because you're a woman. Does that make sense? I think that has shifted a lot. Is there anything we didn't talk about that is on your minds regarding your career that you wanted to touch on or get into? Something I always like to say, you know, in these things is that I try to say things that me 10 years ago would have would have wanted to hear, you know, because I, yeah, like I said, I, I never had anyone to kind of listen to or learn from when I was sort of starting out in audio on this crazy journey. Um, and I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any women to listen to, which would have, would have made a lot of difference. And um, I was, you know, if I had like one piece of advice or something, I would say is that, you know, ev- everyone has insecurities. I think everyone you work with, you know, there's no one who's just born knowing it all, you know, just despite them, you know, wanting to believe that they do like this, just because someone's, being in the industry for 20 years doesn't mean they don't still get nervous or have to google stuff you know behind the curtain because they don't know you know how something works and you know even now actually you know I I get insecure about um certain things like I wish I knew more about I don't know impedance amplifiers and even like power you know I don't my knowledge in that area isn't very good but then you know that the guy next to me who's been doing this for 20 years, you know, he might feel the same about, like, digital networking or RF, you know, radio stuff. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, we all, we all started somewhere and and no one's just 
born good at it you know you get there by doing it so um I guess that's kind of a piece of advice for anyone who's feeling a bit insecure and and just starting out you know like we're all we were all there and we're all to some extent still there this was a real treat you know real great way for me to spend my morning um and for you to spend your hot hot <laughs> afternoons <laughs> sweltering yeah it has been uh thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to the Soundgirls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.